This week's episode of the Cincy Shirts Podcast is brought to you by our partners at Gold Star, who figure into this week's episode. Check out our entire collection of Gold Star apparel at cincyshirts.com. Click on the Partners tab, drop-down menu, and select Gold Star Chili, Gold Star Chili, Small Batch Chili, and Handcrafted Hamburgers. Now, on with the show. This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 88. Today on our show, it's all about Northside with Tim Jeckering, Vice President of the Northside Business Association. Oh, I, I knew people who were buying houses it. in Northside for 500 bucks on eBay. What? I'm not kidding you. I know people who were buying houses eBay. on eBay in Northside <laughs> during that recession for 500,000 bucks, 3,000 bucks, 5,000 bucks. Tim tells us about moving to Northside in the 1980s and falling in love with it, why it's become one of Cincinnati's hottest neighborhoods, and how they keep it that way. And hear what they told a major drugstore chain that wanted to put a cookie-cutter building right up there in that neighborhood. If you've been liking the podcast, you can support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. You can use that at cincyshirts.com, oldschoolshirts.com, or in our Cincy Shirts stores. Now let's talk to Tim Jeckering about Northside. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-Cincinnati She came down Cincinnati Just maybe think of me once in a while I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati All that stuff, you know, you got to keep up or you can't stay in business. So, you know, the fact that you got to do continuing education is kind of... My yeah. mother-in-law had to go through a whole thing to get LEED certified on that first started because uh-huh. uh, he used to own his own firm with another fellow, uh-huh. and they thought they specialized Dean Violetta. Okay. Uh, Cornette and Violetta. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but now he, the, the stress of running a business was too much, and so he went to work for the zoo, and is now their lead right. architect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I've been in business for 39 years in January. Wow. Holy cow. It's a long time. I was really young and green when I started. <laughs> yeah, so how's the architecture business uh, right changed now? over the years? Oh, how's it changed over the years? Like, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, from hand drawing to hand drawing. From where I started, from hand drawing to, you know, you can hardly find a student to go out and sketch a floor plan now, you know, because like, they don't know how to even hardly sketch. You know, I mean, the hand but skill set is. Don't they have to know the basics, though? Is that a basic thing you have to know to be an architect? Or, well, or? you know, well, so many of them will go out with their laptops these days and field measure and not even sketch. They'll just put it right in their laptop, you know. So yeah, why just, do it twice? It's just a technology change, you know. Um, so, As far as regulations and stuff like that? Oh, is well, that always well, codes, uh, codes and all that kind of stuff is all upgraded regarding energy efficiency and things like that. But um, it's mainly building materials and, and building sciences that's really changed over those years in terms of quality of insulation and windows and asbestos and yeah lead asbestos paint. is not used anymore lead paint's not used anymore <laughs> although you know i have clients who would beg for lead-based paint for their uh trim and their casings in their house because that that old paint really had a really sh- nice shine to it that you could wash and wash and wash over and over again. Ah, so it was really good stuff, huh? It was, well, I mean, it held up <laughs> well. I mean, it was, you know, it was sustainable in a different way because it lasted for 20 years. You know, in CPS, when they started this new school program out that they have now, they were using all these low, no VOC paints and everything, but they were repainting the classrooms every two years because the, the, you couldn't wash the walls because it would have their handprints on them, so the walls would look dirty or you know, three foot down. Ah. So now they're repainting the walls every two years with this quote-unquote, low VOC paint. So is that more sustainable when you repaint walls every two years versus painting them every 10 years? I mean, yeah, you know, it's like... Well, let's get the know, movement going. Let's bring yeah. back the lead paint, folks. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know it's, I mean, it's, I'm not saying do that, but I'm just saying, you know, the, and you know, even like electric cars with the batteries. I mean, yeah. everybody thinks electric cars are great and sustainable long-term, but what are we going to do with all these batteries, which are nothing but a mixture of toxins? And the electricity yeah. has to come from somewhere. Too. And it has, to, it still has to come from somewhere. You yeah. know? So it's not as it's not as simple as a lot of, 
you know, it's not like electric cars are the answer in my mind because then you got all these batteries to deal with. It's yeah. a whole other realm of toxic waste that you know we as a society hasn't confronted yet because it's not a problem yet. You know, we're pretty short term yeah. think- thinkers in my mind. Can't just bury it, can you? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, so well, it's all about Northside today. Actually, it's what we brought you here for. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, what involvement do you have in Northside? I know Michelle helped set this up. Our friend sure. Michelle Goodlin. Mm-hmm. And you're what? What involvement do you have in Northside? It's a, a, oh, a committee, or cur- currently, I'm the uh, the president of the Northside Business Association. Okay. And have been since January. Okay. Um, historically, um, I did a, a 13 year run on the Northside Community Council. Um, eight of those years, I was president on the Northside Community Council. Okay. And I'm also involved, there's kind of, and the third thing that I'm involved in in Northside is the Northside Community Fund based at the Greater Cincinnati Foundation, which is a small community fund that is an endowed uh, community fund that we are able to give out money every year to small nonprofits in Northside. So I'm kind of involved in three legs still, although I'm trying to fade out of one or two of those (laughs) Why Northside? Are you, do you have roots there? Or are you just well, passionate about um, the- You know, I, I moved to Northside um, in 1981. Ahead of the trend. Ahead of the trend. Way ahead of the trend, right. Yeah, so I graduated from UC in 79 in architecture. Um, I stayed up in Clifton for two years and worked, you know, jobs. And then I moved to Northside and got married. A friend of mine lived in Northside on Dane Street, and he had a his parents bought a two family, and says we'd love for you guys to move into the other unit. And then um, I I kind of fell in love with the urban walkable neighborhood, even though in 1981 Northside was a totally different place than it is today. It was much rougher, you know. Yeah. I, there was a there was a period of time that the there were so many little corner bars and so many little corner carryouts that. East side of Hamilton Avenue, when one of the voter precincts was voted dry for like nine months, to, and they oh, like here. Cut, cut them all down, da- they shut them all down by voting it dry, and then they, they made it wet again. You know, of course, there was all kinds of people who didn't realize it was on the ballot. You know, you get thirty percent of the people voting. That's what we got to do. And they voted to dry to get yeah. rid of all the riffraff and all the corner bars and all the little carryouts and bodegas that were you know selling beer and drugs and whatever. You- Whatever the frick you had could sell, you know. There's huh. that. There's something similar here where we That's are. Funny. Where we're sitting right oh, now. Oh, really? Where where they have uh, voted it dry? Oh, really? For this to, to part stop, of observatory to stop Avenue. any bars. Like and literally stuff this from, block. Like you stop can, it from infiltrating into the neighborhood. And, yeah. 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 One oh, block so that funny. way, you can get a beer. One block that way, you can get a beer. We're not here. We applied for a, a carry-out beer license. We thought it'd be cool to have, right. you know, this, get get right. Dad a shirt and get him a six-pack while you're at it. And, no. uh, wow, we ruffled some feathers there. <laughs> <laughs> had, I mean, there must be people who are checking those uh, right. they must liquor check license applications. applications mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh, well, well, liquor license applications by law are required to be brought to the community's attention by the police department. So every time there's a new liquor application in Northside, the community council and the business association get notice from the police department if there's any objections. And they so that's how you notified got, us. Yeah, well, they did, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Are you going to put out tables and chairs? Like, no, we just want people to <laughs> buy a beer and walk cooler. out the yeah. door. And sell some cool Cincinnati-themed beers right. and maybe have some special oh, edition sure. stuff. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do some cool shirts for it. We no, nobody's gonna be drinking it here, you know. It's not gonna. I mean, no more than usual. It's gonna be a fridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, you, anyway. where are you from originally? I'm from Dayton, Ohio, originally. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I grew Dayton. up in South Dayton. I came out here for architecture school. There you go. In 1973. And did you grow up in an area of Dayton that was like Northside, that was one of the little walkable neighborhood, or was it was well, like it, for the majority of my youth, it was a walkable neighborhood. I was on the north side, north end of Dayton. And then my parents moved to the south side of Dayton um, and when I was in uh, seventh grade. So up until seventh grade, I lived in the, on the north side of Dayton, an old area called Riverdale, which was a very walkable urban neighborhood. You know, you could walk to all your friends' houses and things like that, you know, before they moved to the suburbs. So I had a taste of that, and I always liked it much more than the suburbs because, you know, when you move to the suburbs, all of a sudden you get isolated. You know, you're dependent on the car for everything. you got to have mom and dad take you everywhere because you can't yeah. get squat. And, uh, you know, I was a big bike rider, so I would get out that way, but I wasn't able to, you know, it wasn't like I had the flexibility. I mean, even when I was in like sixth grade back in, 
you know, the 60s, I was able to ride my bike all over that walkable neighborhood because it was yeah. safe and, you know, and there's lots of kids around. Everybody's riding their bikes and it was, you know, it was a, yeah. it was a blue, blue collar working class neighborhood. I grew up in St. Bernard, so it was okay. very, it's very similar, similar to St. Bernard. Yeah. Right. You know, so I, I love that. Like that. I mean, yeah. I, it's like I want that mm -hmm. for my kids, but mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just uh, the, the way ge the geography of neighborhoods have changed or if it's, uh, you know, the the fear that mm -hmm. parents have of all the things that could happen to their right. kid by mm -hmm. just letting them go ride their bike right. around the neighborhood. Like, and that was kind of, kind of unfortunate because, you know, while all those kids were riding around and all, there was an inherent safety in that because all the parents were watching all the kids. Right. You know, kind of just by osmosis. Sure, sure, sure. You were just watching out for them because, you know, you had kids or the neighbors had kids. So kids were in your attention span. And, and that's what's what you did, you know. And and St. Bernard had a service. I don't know if we've ever talked about it here. It's called Dial-A-Ride. And it was, a, a, it was basically like a short bus. And it was 25 cents. And it would pick you up anywhere in St. Bernard and take you, take you to anywhere in St. Bernard. Bernard. Huh. So if you did have to go visit right. a friend who was on the complete other side where for it was too far to ride it. your bike, yeah. they'd pick you up at your house for a quarter. And what? Why do we have a shirt of that? Wow. Well, they was still in business until oh, okay. a couple years ago, but <laughs> I have a million St. Bernard ideas yeah, okay, for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I fell in love with the walkable neighborhood north side. Yeah. And, you know, enjoyed, uh, you know, going from my house on Dane Street, walking down to the business district and having a beer and walking home. And, and, and you know, we, you'd have other couples over and do the same thing. You know, you'd, you'd walk and have a beer and come back for, for dinner or dessert or whatever, you know. And that walkable neighborhood thing has always been in my DNA, if you will. So when did you see the transition of Northside start to happen to what it's kind of grown into now? Well, I would probably say it started when I moved there. That long ago, yeah, in a very slow movement because there were people who recognized that the housing stock was fantastic and it was in an incredibly affordable price point. You know, back in the in the eighties and nineties, you know, and so there were there were waves of people in my generation that were moving into Northside in in the early nineties. You know, I have a whole array of friends who are all in our mid sixties. All of us bought into Northside about the same time. All of us have kids about the same age. So there's 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 a there's a an enclave of my generation who moved in in the in the what I'm going to call the early '80s, and then there was you know there was just every generation kept moving in more and more and more you know and now as I say you know we've got uh, you know the, the 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 salvation of the neighborhood is really the the next generations who keep loving the neighborhood and keep wanting to move in you know. And, you know, uh, I used to tell politicians that at City Hall, we've got more tattooed mamas with baby carriages in Northside <laughs> than, than any segment of population in the state of Ohio. And we were damn proud of it because it was saving our neighborhood. And he looked at me, he says, you know, you're probably right. You yeah. Know, you know, because it was, it was you know, who, whatever the people's uh, idiosyncrasies are of any generation, the fact that they're taking housing or they're investing in the neighborhood and, and uh you know, making the neighborhood their home, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not a person who cares what people do inside their house or, you know, what gay couples or married couples or anybody does inside their house. That's none of my business. The fact that they are proud of their house, take care of their house, and they're proud of their neighborhood is where I'm at. Yeah, I'm not yeah. there just that, to get that, the next you know, I'm not a judgmental person. I mean, you know, you know, I don't care. I mean, as long as they're taking care of their house and, and, and proud of their neighborhood and contribute to the society, I think that they're great neighbors. Yep. Mow the yard and everybody's happy. <laughs> for people that listening that may not because I'm terrible with you know the west side's like a whole other planet to me I'm an east side guy okay so if people sure. don't know oh, no, we're talking there is the main thoroughfare is Hamilton Avenue Hamilton Avenue sure uh, the two big businesses people would probably know are the record store uh, Shake It Shake It Records mm -hmm. and Northside Tavern okay so right. just to get people an idea mm -hmm. and uh, like what's it's one of the oldest neighborhoods in the city right sure it's 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 uh, Cincinnati or Northside was one of the first uh, ring suburbs if you will um, and and it was developed. Uh, pretty aggressively because it was so flat. It was in that in the in the the Mill Creek River Basin. 1880s, mid 1880s, Northside started thriving as a place to get out of the ri the river basin and over the Rhine and, and and down and up to Northside. You know the the uh, Miami Erie Canal, which you know eventually went all the way you know to, to Lake Erie, came right through Northside along the Mill Creek. So the the the, the canal was there. Um, you know. Northside, one of the biggest things we have in the neighborhood is our Fourth of July parade, and and the first North of 
North Northside Fourth of July parade was in eighteen. I'm probably going to get this date wrong, but I'm going to say the, the late 1850s, early 1860s. Wow. When St. Joseph Orphanage, which was down on Elm Street, okay, moved to the new North to the new Northside Orphanage and where kind of Chase School is now, and that zone is where the St. Joseph Orphanage used to be. Yeah. So the first Northside Fourth of July parade, and, and if you can almost close your eyes and picture this, but it was orphan kids with nuns in a canal boat being pulled up the, the Miami Erie Canal from downtown to Northside, where they unloaded the kids and then they walked to the new orphanage from downtown because downtown had gotten so congested and, you know, the air was probably bad because everybody was burning coal and, and, and things like that. So the first Northside Fourth of July parade was in the, in the late 1850s with the orphanage moving to Northside. And it was called the Children's Parade for decades. Wow. You know, that's it's, fascinating. It's yeah. totally fascinating. Are orphanage is still a thing. <clears throat> um, th- there's one. There's one over. There was. There was a giant one. They're not as popular as they were as, as I, when I, we were kids, or I was a kid. You know, there was a lot of orphanages now, and I think they try to do a lot more privatized things right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just remember that giant yeah. building right off of you know, Reading Road at the right, Norwood right, Lateral. At the Norwood Lateral, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Beach Acres in Anderson Township used to be an orphanage, and uh, there's still an orphanage down uh, across from Coney Island. Mm-hmm. It's up really? on the it's up on the up, hill. Up, up on the hill, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're still there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that a better option than foster care? I mean, I, or is it for kids who can't get foster care? I, I, I think that's must be what it be. It's an alternative for kids who can't get foster care. Yeah, yeah. just like right. dorms with I don't know. That's just so. I know it seems like a not like another era. Yeah, kind of thing. another thing that was in Northside that I found really interested in doing the history on it. Um, I did a, a history seminar for the the Ollie program at UC, the Osher Lifelong Learning Center, and, and I did a presentation on Northside, a three-hour slideshow kind of thing. But there was, a, there was a hall of independent thinking in Northside in the late 1880s, and it was for women's suffrage. It was for uh, blacks uh, as a refuge from, from the South. Basically, it was a precursor to the Quaker movement in this country where people were getting away from the old thoughts of, you know, women, you know, don't vote, women don't have equal rights, blacks don't vote, they don't have votes, equal rights. There was a hall in Northside, it was called the Hall of Independent Thinking, okay? That was based, that was, it was totally, it's totally awesome. It was based on all of the, you know, the kind of the liberal ideas that still are part of the Northside fabric. Which yeah. I think is so fascinating. It is fascinating yeah. for Cincinnati to for be, Cincinnati. have such a label as like a behind the times. Right. It was it was it was Mennonite based and and, and you know uh, kind of a progressive religious space that was not you know into uh, segregation and, and it was very much into equal That's rights. That's fascinating. Totally wow. fascinating. Yeah, and San, Solomon Chase, who was a lawyer. Yeah. Back in that day, who was very much and into women's rights. use uh, and, law schools. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and very much into women's rights and all. Uh, um, he was based in Northside, and, and they, they ended up naming the big school after him, then Chase Elementary School. Huh. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that are, you know, like consistent bloodlines almost that have gone through say, generations like, and decades. So there. The, and you think that that kind of attitude it got handed down, and that's why it's I, an I, accepting I, place today. And I, I, I can't prove it, but it, it certainly is an odd coincidence in my mind. You know that 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 liberalism or that progressive thinking was around, you know, uh, what 170 years ago. Yeah. In Northside, that's crazy. Yeah, totally and, crazy. And it wasn't always called Northside. No, it was called Cumminsville. Right. Now, Cummins, Cumminsville was a large area. The, the area of Northside that we uh, know today as Northside was the north side of Cumminsville. It was on the north side of the railroad tracks. You know, so back in the day when it said, depending on what side of the railroad tracks you lived on, there was some truth to it back then. You know, so, and the other thing, that, and the reason that it became north side versus Cumminsville or the north side of Cumminsville was the German immigrants built brick houses. They brought their building skill set with them from Germany. And the Germans who were uh, had more economic means than the Irish built brick houses on the north side of the tracks. And the Irish who had less means built houses on the south side of the track. So if you go to Cumminsville today, the vast majority of the houses are stick frame. If you go to lower north side, 
south of where the railroad tracks used to bisect Hamilton Avenue, right where the gantry and, and uh, American Can is now in Hoffner Park. You can still see the diagonal railroad track line. Those houses are all predominantly stick frame houses. And it's they were Irish houses versus German houses. Wow. There was a St. Patrick's Parish on the south side of the railroad tracks. And there was a St. Boniface Parish on the north side of the railroad tracks. There was the Irish Catholic Church and there was a German Catholic Church. <laughs> I mean, did they get along otherwise? Or I'm, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I don't know. It's especially a, a Friday night, Friday, Friday night, or Saturday night brawl in some of the bars probably happened back then. Yeah. You know? but it was the Germans and the Irish, which I think is just incredibly interesting. Lots of alcohol. How much alcohol? <laughs> <is> <laughs> <in there? laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of alcohol. But you know, I mean that 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 delineation is is a physical. I can go ahead and show you almost exclusively. Now, there's a couple on the on the edges that went back and forth, you know. But for the most part, it's frame and brick. Uh, it's wow. stunning. I got to check that out next time I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, Speaking be of beer, though, like back in the day, like you know, Cincinnati had what 120 different breweries or something. Mm -hmm. Was were since a you know German heritage uh, was mm -hmm. there? Were, were there any old breweries that you know of? Oh, Northside had a name of Helltown, a nickname of Helltown. Yeah, and it was right called Helltown because of <laughs> its brothels and beer. <laughs> You know, yeah, and actually, there's a little business. What's that address? <laughs> <laughs> there's a little business in, in Northside called Helltown something. I forget what the name of it is, but there's a little Helltown huh. thing that people have brought it back. And they sell little cute soaps and candles. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> Tea exactly towels. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it sounds like you were ahead of the trend in terms of like buying property there, but like it seems in the last decade, maybe. Mm -hmm. is when like businesses really started targeting and and it's right. become mm -hmm. sort of thriving mm -hmm. in like the hip spot mm -hmm. right well it was so when i took over presidency of northside community council and i think it was the year 2000 this is an interesting statistic 20 percent of the housing stock in northside in the year 2000 was not eligible for section 8 financing okay so if you had a section 8 voucher and you wanted to move into a housing unit, one out of the five houses in Northside did not pass the Section 8 voucher standards. So it was below, they wouldn't allow you to rent there because it didn't meet their standards. In what way? In terms of plumbing, roof leaks, oh, window okay. leaks, lead paint. Uh, it was substandard for sub Section 8? It was substandard for Section 8. So, so 20, one out of five houses on your street, across the whole neighborhood as the average, was in poor, such poor shape that if you had a Section 8 voucher, you weren't allowed to use it on that house. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, so this is this is getting the answer to your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, that's this is only 19 years ago. This is exactly this is 19 yeah. years ago. So when the big recession hit in 2008, okay, and a lot of these houses and substandard houses, which had been flipped many times and weren't anywhere near what the loan value was on these things, they all went belly up. Okay, so so in, in the year 2008, you had 20% of the housing stock in Northside virtually empty, okay, because it had gotten so bad, they were just abandoned houses. And we have, we faced what was called, and I call it all the time, it's, it's elimination or gentrification, okay? So in other words, the housing stock is in such bad shape that you need to invest so much money into it in order to make it livable that people, called them, people called them gentrified then because, you know, then they went from, you know, abandoned and unrentable all the way to, you know, $150,000, $200,000 house because they had put new roof, new furnace, new, new utilities. Everything was new in these houses. And they had to try to get them at a price point just to get their money back. So, so like, what was a house that was unlivable selling for and oh, I, I knew people who were buying houses it. in Northside for 500 bucks on eBay what I'm not kidding you I know people who were buying houses eBay. on eBay in Northside <laughs> during that recession for 500,000 bucks 3,000 bucks 5,000 bucks um, and then so what kind of money are they putting into it to get it livable again it depends. Some of them are doing really good jobs and spending, you know, investing a couple hundred thousand dollars and, and oh, selling. Oh, that much. Oh, okay. yeah. Right. I've done I've done three quote unquote property flips in my life, kind of as an architect, kind of and dabbling in it. And you know, and one of them I paid forty two thousand dollars for and sold it for two nineteen. Whoa! And made ten thousand dollars. Oh, wow! <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the rub. Okay, that's that's the rub. You know, I've done two other ones where I've made nothing. 
But, you know, they were close to where I lived. I could see them from my house. They were blighted properties, and I'm like, you know, either I move or I and take and I was going to say, does that does just making those houses nice and livable make yours worth more? Like, will you well, get without a, without a doubt. will you get without your a, mm-hmm. your uh, profit on? I was I was basically being self centered in in fixing up two <laughs> houses very close to mine to keep them from going to total hell. Very self centered. I'll be the first to admit it. I didn't make any money on either of them. But, you know, the last one just sold for $360,000. And, you know, that couple paid $260,000. I sold it after I fixed it up for two fifty. dollars So there was was a person in between there that made ten, dollars And then the next person who stayed nine years or so or eight years, they made $100,000. Well, my hundred awesome. grand probably for fixing it up. Yeah, you need to knock on their door and be like, "Hey, <laughs> you know." But it, it was more for me. It was more of fixing up my neighborhood and not being embarrassed to drive onto my street. Yeah, that. I mean, that's a. Pr- yeah. There's. I don't think that's self-centered. I think it's. I mean, I think it's caring. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, well, it's yeah. a, a smart move. Yeah. If you have the means, do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was fun as an architect because I was my own client all of a sudden versus having a, a third-party client out there and about that was, you know, making decisions or telling me what to do or this, that, and the other thing. So. And did that inspire more people in the neighborhood? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, a couple of people looked at me, what I had done that early on and had this one up for, for 219 and I had realtors told me that I was totally nuts, that, you know, <laughs> here, here, Tim, you got a house with a 30-foot wide lot, no off-street parking, and you're trying to sell it for 219 And, you know, I was finishing up the tile work on it, and I got a phone call from a woman who says, I hear you're fixing up this house. We'd like to see it. And I says, well, it's not quite ready. She says, we don't care. We want to see it. I says, well, you know, you need to contact the realtor. I signed the contract last Monday. The realtor walked her through. I had a contract by the end of the week, and the realtor looked at me and said, I don't believe it. People moved from Wyoming, Ohio, to Northside. Wow. And they have, they've since sold that house and moved to another house in Northside. But it's, it's a crazy. young couple, two kids, one to walkable neighborhood, hated Wyoming, and moved to Northside. It's he works, he works at General Electric. General Electric is an IT guy, you know, so they had the means. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that's Wyoming, Ohio. Everybody. Wyoming, Ohio. <laughs> exactly. It's Wyoming, Ohio. Yeah. Which is a lovely community, by the way. Oh, it's yeah. a great community. It's a great walkable community. But it was a different class of people. They wanted yeah. a lot more diversity. You know, he was he was one culture and she was another. Yeah. And they just wanted that the mixture of culture. He had a where tattoo, he felt, so they got yeah. ran out of town. Yeah, yeah. She had some tattoos. You know, German, baby she was like Irish. <laughs> she wanted to be on the south side of the track. Either. Yeah, you know, so you know, this is, so I would say that that's when the gentrification started, or gentrification, if you want to call it that, or the big change in Northside started, really with that huge switch of housing stock during the recession we saw in 2008-2009. Because a lot of those old delinquent, derelict landowners ended up losing their houses in foreclosure process and then people were buying them out of foreclosure. Hmm. And is gentrification like, I know it's always the big issue because people say, well, now you're going to make it not affordable for the people that grew up in the neighborhood mm-hmm. to, to live there. Is right. that always, I mean, I, I understand why just make it not crappy and then every, you know, some uh, people, you get a smaller cool. place for the money versus, mm-hmm. but at least it's not, you know. Right. Well, I mean, even, at, even in gen, people use the word gentrification a lot and I really don't like the word because it means too many things and I think it's also yeah. misused a lot. Yeah. You know, in my the mind. The implication is the, 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 yeah, like the, forcing poor forcing people, people out. You know, yeah. in, in our case in Northside and, and it, you know, over the Rhine, I did some work down over the Rhine years and years ago and at one point in time, in my career as an architect, because I was working for a, a, a Section 8 provider in Over the Rhine, because I was interested in that market, I went to work for this guy for a couple of years, 17% of the housing stock in Over the Rhine was occupied. In other words, wow. 83% of the housing stock in Over the Rhine was empty. Jeez. And what part of Over the Rhine? I, I'm I talking mean, about the whole thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, you know, the, it was so sparsely populated and, and you know and I can understand you know that there are some poor people who lost their housing in this wave but for the most part all the housing was empty in those over the Rhine 83 percent of the housing units in over the Rhine were empty wow. in, in in the year 2000 20 years ago Wow. I don't believe it. Wonder where it is now. Know, yeah, I would love to know what that number is now. Five. Yeah. And, well, no, I would bet there's still a significant. I would bet thirty or forty percent. Thirty percent of the housing is still un, unoccupied and over the Rhine. There's that many so empty. They, non, think it's waiting to be fixed. Waiting, up? waiting to be fixed up. You yeah. know, they're owned by speculative. I mean, we have some of that problem on Hamilton Avenue, Northside. We have some speculative landowners along Hamilton Avenue 
who bought these buildings really cheap and are just basically sitting on them, waiting to be able to sell them as a profit and do nothing, do as little as possible. You know, their, their business plan is to hold on to the property until, you know, they can make a hundred grand by doing nothing. Huh. And that's going on over the Rhine um, now. I mean, you know, that's what's probably slowing down the development over the Rhine, in my opinion. Um, and I, you know, it's I can like appreciate gold rush. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can appreciate people's thoughts on it, but, you know, I have a little more broader look at it in terms of, you know, when you have 85% of the housing stock empty, how can you complain about all of a sudden people coming in and investing in the neighborhood and fixing it up and having, having the buildings occupied? Well, yeah. And it's so expensive to do it these days. Parking! You know? Over the rise is <laughs> a pretty <laughs> obvious one to look at, but do you follow these trends in other parts of the city? Is there... What do you think is the next north side? Like, well, Camp Washington right now is is, is seeing a huge boom of the uh, artists and alternative people like Northside saw 15 years ago, and the price point of the houses is still there. You know, Walnut Hills is seeing it, and, and is starting. So, a lot so, of development there. A lot of development there. So, in my mind, what you're seeing, and I think is an incredibly healthy thing for all of Cincinnati. And I don't tend to be competitive of Northside versus another neighborhood kind of thing. Like PFO all, over here. Yeah, all these <laughs> all these first ring suburbs are all coming back because of the value of the generations of people who are buying houses now who don't want. Two and a half acres of grass to cut every freaking Saturday afternoon. <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's true. I mean, that people don't want that anymore. I can understand why. Who cares? Who wants to do that? Or, or not minimalist, but like people who don't want the the big house to keep up with, and right? And the maintenance that goes with it, and the, and yeah. and, and, the, and they don't want to drive. You know, I've had clients uh, in my business who live in Hyde Park, and we're doing a major remodeling on their house, and so they can move to their parents' second home or their parents' house in Loveland. There, you know, because they're away for the winter or summer or such thing. Yeah. And these people will call me three weeks into construction and say, "Can't we please move back in?" I had no idea I was going to face this traffic every morning going from Loveland to downtown Cincinnati. I'm so used to being living in Hyde Park, being there in 15 minutes. And it being a pleasant drive down the parkway or yeah, you know, any yeah. number of ways you can get downtown. And and so the modern modern generation or the younger generation of people in their, their 30s and 40s don't want that hour commute if you can get away with it. And Cincinnati's beautiful that way because, you know, there's lots of areas where you can live close to the urban center and not have these long drives like you would have in Washington or New York or things like that. Yeah, I was it's, in, it's a smaller bird. So Northern Kentucky is great, too. I was in too. Chicago yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like walking down the street and it's like there's a true value hardware store in in this tiny little space about the size of like our space here. Like Wrigleyville? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we stayed there in the yeah, summer. They, they yeah. stayed them, yeah. And yeah. it's just like I love that like mm-hmm. even in a city as big as Chicago, sure. you could have like a neighborhood like mm-hmm. hardware store. Well, Northside little... still has a, a neighborhood hard, hardware store. Yeah. I mean, you, I walk from my office down or from my house down to the hardware store to get something and and walk home, and that's great, you know. And then those little business districts, you know, when they're rich with these little services that provide services for people, thrive. Yeah. Because that's what people want. I mean, that's why Northside Tavern does so good. Because people want to go down there, and if you have three beers, you don't have to worry about you know getting busted for driving home. You're, you're walking home, and yeah, it's fun. Stumble in, as the case may be. <laughs> if, if you're, or if you stumble in, as the case may be, then you're fine, you know. That's But that's the whole basis of the walkable neighborhood, in my mind, of people wanting to have services and friendships you know, where you're not dependent on the car to go everywhere. So when and why does Cumminsville become Northside? I know the answer, but I want you to tell us. <laughs> when? Yeah. Like, what? what's the big thing that causes that to happen? Um, I think it's the demand. The demand of people who are looking for these neighborhoods at a price point they can afford. And, and the housing stock but, is there. But when, is, when do they get divided? What divides South Cumminsville from Cumminsville? Whether well, South of, Cumminsville from Cumminsville? Yeah. Like when when the freeway went through, right? It, it it chopped Cumminsville in half. Yeah. Okay. So now you have Northside as an official neighborhood, and then you have Cumminsville as an official neighborhood. Cumminsville is a truncated version of what it used to be. So what's the question now? So but I'm, what I'm saying is how that. Well, <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got, I grew up in the Midwest, or really sure. any city in mm-hmm. post World War II. Realize right. if you think about it that the, when the freeways are a great thing, but they cut through a lot of neighborhoods they, they chopped and destroyed a lot of neighborhoods. Exactly. So right. what I was after was how did that affect. Yeah, again, in the long run, I guess it's helped Northside, but how has that affected, like, say, South Cumminsville, or is it what? Well, I think when I-, 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 I-74 went through, it, it pretty much decimated Northside for whatever reason, because the area 
probably on the north side of the tracks was a little richer based culture that was a little more stabilized than the poor housing stock on the, on the south side of the tracks, you know, but, but basically now the division is I-74 versus the old railroad tracks. Yeah. But I, I think it probably was an economic based thing that the, the poor people lived on the south side of the tracks. Well, and it seems like it survived better than, than some neighborhoods. And, and, I, and it did, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's somewhat of a mystery to me. I mean, there was there was a lot of very diverse home ownership in Northside. Um, there's there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of African American people who who've owned houses for decades in Northside because it was a working class neighborhood that was um, open to cross cultural uh, development and, and occupation. And and I just think that um, people were able to, you know, generate and hold some of their wealth in, in the neighborhood because it never went completely down to the toilet, you know? Yeah, it also had, it had manufacturing in the neighborhood. There was a lot of people who were able to walk to work in the neighborhood that, you know, there's, 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 there's uh, factories and things like that that were consistent in the neighborhood through the 50s and 60s yeah. that held the working people in the neighborhood and they could still That's work That's how St. Bernard thrived is with the Procter & Gamble plant. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like yeah. everybody's mm-hmm. parents worked at Procter mm-hmm. & Gamble and yeah. it was a right. three-minute drive. Or the American Candle on the side, which is that big, huge white thing that's now, you know, 95 apartments, was a huge manufacturing building and they made machines that made cans, you know, the, the, the canned peas and canned corn that we used to all eat as kids were made by these machines that were made in that building. And, and, you know, the railroad tracks and the railroad cars went right into that building. You know, where Ruth's restaurant sits today, when I, and I, I was the architect on that project, when, you know, it had railroad tracks in that space because wow. they used to back train cars in there to load it up, load machines up. <laughs> I want to talk about that architecture. Sure. Um, so, are you a um, like a student of the like history of architecture? Is it something that you start like went into because you like like where it is now? I mean, I just I'm fascinated by Cincinnati architecture, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people are. And you know, one of the draws of like film and movies here is how much like parts of OTR look like New York City. And sure, and you know, someone I, I can't remember where I was recently. But somebody was talking about how much they loved our city because we didn't, we did a good job of not tearing down yeah. buildings and <laughs> and building them with new, new modern buildings. We we appreciated sure. the architecture. Mm-hmm. Do you, like, what are your thoughts on on that part of Cincinnati and the history and, and the way that our downtown looks and well, the, some of the, the cool downtown and, and you know Northside's not that far behind downtown in, in the age of when a lot of these buildings were built. What I think is interesting um, about and, and over the Rhine is this way also, but Northside in particular, and it has to do with the housing stock is, so, so the majority of the houses in Northside were built between the 1880s and the 1920s, okay? A lot of them actually before 1900. So, so the times of that building component, it was the time of the Industrial Revolution, okay? You know, so here you have a, 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 a neighborhood that was, developed for working class people and, and not exclusively because Andrew Jurgens, who started the Jurgens soap company, you know, him and his brother lived at the corner of Hamilton and Bruce. It's called Jurgens corner. And there's a park there called Jurgens park that today was Andrew Jurgens estate. And it was in his will that you tear, he tore down his house and it was become a children's park for the kids in the neighborhood. It was the first endowed park in the city of Cincinnati park system by Andrew Jurgens. That's, That's awesome. a corner That's of, cool. of Hamilton and Bruce. Okay. But, but the industrial revolution <clears throat> made it possible for the mass production of housing parts and components of housing parts. Okay. So builders, you know, with the 1860s, 1870s, the industrial revolution and, and, and the ability of factories to manufacture parts repetitively, you know, builders were going to the building lumberyard in, in the day of, of, of the Home Depots back then, and they were picking out different porch plans, porch kits that you could buy. So all these Victorian porches that are on all these houses in Northside were all a result of the Industrial Revolution and that made these porch parts cheap and very accessible to the builders of the day. And, and so the Industrial Revolution had a whole bunch to do with the fact that Northside 
ancient or historic homes almost have all porches on the front end mm. of them. They had all cookie cutter stuff back then. It, it huh? was all like, cookie cut. Like... Yeah, it was. But you know, it, you can kind of <laughs> go now to Home Depot and you can get you can get a front door with a, and you get a surround around it and, and you can get little things like that. Well, back in the day, then you could go and get a whole Victorian porch to slap on your house, and you could find exact same porches on different houses all over the neighborhood. There's only like ten or fifteen porches, but they all look yeah. different because they're all in front of different houses. That's hilarious. Huh. And everybody thinks they were all individually manufactured for that house. But the reality of it is, is they were ma- manufactured in the Industrial Revolution, where all of a sudden things were mass produced and they became very cheap, which is why on worker housing in the 1880s, you could put on these decorative porches, which now, you know, if you go to put them on, they cost you a fortune to replace. You know? um, I run an event in Northside in, in, on alternating years in the fall, and it'll be uh, this year on October 26th. It's called a porch tour. Oh, yeah. Okay, so instead of a house tour, you know, where everybody goes into people's houses, we have, um, it's the 13th year we've run it, we have different routes every year, and we bring in horse-drawn carriages and uh, line the route with luminaries, so we'll have 1,500, 2,000 luminaries out on a predetermined route. On October 26th, we bring in two horse-drawn carriages that hold 20 people apiece. We have carriage rides going around there. We have architectural interpreters on the carriage on the carriages, and then we talk about the Industrial Revolution, and we talk about porches, and we talk about all the different kinds of architecture that are represented in the neighborhood. Wow! As a result of that, so it's more of a streetscape celebration than an individual house celebration. So, so that happens on the odd number of years, like 2019, even number of years we do a porch tour. And that's a Northside Community Council sponsored event. So we we do this porch tour. And it's great, you know. It's, it's dark, um, you know. People this year will, because we're real close to Halloween. Well, there'll be tons of Halloween themed decorated porches, and people dressed up in Halloween costumes hanging out on the porches, and Halloween parties going on. It's <laughs> so fun. And and it's it is yeah. very. And we try to get the cars off the streets, you know, back like it was in the day, you know. So the very tight streets, and and you know, it's, it's quite a, a, a scene to see. Really, really great. That's October 26th. October 26th of this year, yeah. yeah. Between 6 and 9, we leave from the Children's Park at the corner of Chase and Fergus. And uh, that's where it launches up this year. And I've got a master map of, of how it's danced around the neighborhood in 13 different patterns or 13 different routes over the past 26 years. Wow. Well, Blake will be the week before that, or two weeks before mm-hmm. that. So you just have, need to have. Well, him, uh, we pushed it back because of just have him set that up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we pushed it back. Because I didn't want to get out of downtown. It goes from lights yeah. to blue. I, I didn't want to compete with Blake. You know, I, just, I want to go to Blake for one. Are you expecting a million people at the porch tour this year? Um, no, we usually get up, we usually get five, seven hundred people show up. You know, and some wow. people ride the carriages. Some people just walk the route. That's um, awesome. That's you know, the I'm surprised it's that small. I, I mean, the I launch like... site we have uh, we have our citizens on patrol and youth groups who will do uh, grilled hot dogs and we'll serve hot dogs. You know, I bring in a uh, a, a band, um, so we have live music, we have uh, hot dogs, and some of the local nonprofits will have little nonprofits tent set up, and uh, it's a th- three or six to nine event, and and that's it. It's a lot of fun. Is there an effort to keep Northside looking like Northside in other words, zoning? We had the Cincinnati Home Builders in here a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and surprisingly, in Hyde Park, you can build whatever you want. You want to rebuild you know, like a mid-century modern, even mm-hmm. though it's in, among all these Victorian homes, knock yourself out. Right. But um, Well, we have a historic district on Hamilton Avenue, okay, that you have to pay attention to those guidelines. Now, that does not prevent newer construction like the Millhouse Gantry building that was built in the Myron Johnson site. I don't think there's... I don't think there's an effort to keep it looking just like it is. Um, I think, um, and because I know what building costs are, to build older homes that look like these old Victorian homes in this day and age are so expensive to build. I tell people, you know, you couldn't replace your house for $500,000. And they look at me and say, what are you talking about? I, well, you couldn't build this, those houses. And, there's, and that's true for most of the houses in Cincinnati, you know, that have any kind of detail. You, you can nowhere yeah. afford to like rebuild North them. Avondale. No, those you couldn't. Like, those houses would all be two district, or three million dollar yeah. houses to build them these days, you know. So you can't afford to rebuild these homes the same way. What you have to do is pay attention to proportions and be sympathetic to the architecture and try to do something that's complementary to it. Save the bones of it or yeah, something. Yeah, something that's complementary to it versus something that competes with it, in my mind, is, 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 the, is the goal. Yeah. So, nineteen eighty-one, you moved there in eighty-one-ish. So, what what inspires you to get involved in the neighborhood, like in the council and all that? Sure. Um, um, I live on Spring Lawn, and in uh, the late eighties, probably nineteen eighty-eight or eight, nineteen eighty-nine, 
there was a, um, a plot of land that is contiguous with my backyard in terms of there's no streets between my backyard and, and this plot of land. It was 28 acres. It had been owned by a, a family. Um, they used to live back there on a farmhouse. And 28 acres. 28 acres. A farm? Northside. Northside. <laughs> a farm on Northside. Well, there's still farms in Northside. I mean, down on Lower Springlawn and Crawford, there's still you know, farming areas down there that oh, wow. people still do this. But um, it was called Rockford Woods. And uh, I got involved because I got a knock at the door. There was some woman who lived on the adjacent street. She was trying to collect petitions uh, to stop a development that was going to happen in Rockford Woods, which was going to be, uh, I think, 250 houses Ooh. on this 28-acre site. The uh, Building Trades Council was was going to use it as a heavy equipment training site, okay, to to work this topography. The, the reason it had never been developed was because it was very uh, hilly, like Cincinnati is. You know, there was all these valleys and hills and so on and so forth. So she came to my door and knocked and was trying to get me to sign onto this petition to, to block or stop this housing project because they were just going to basically clear cut this whole woodland area, totally regrade it, fill, you know, 80 foot culverts. And, and things like that, and then basically put in a, a subdivision of very small houses. So I got involved uh, at that point in time in, in fighting that in conjunction with the Hillside Trust. And I kind of, uh, um, you know, we fought, we fought and we stopped the project that was uh, going to be uh, proposed at that point in time and uh, worked with the developers and the owners and the owners changed over, over time. And today we're looking at, I think, uh, a housing development with 62 houses on that site. 80% of the site was untouched. So we've developed just the ridge tops, um, which is pretty much consistent with the Hillside Trust um, recommendations on how, how you do development on hillsides. The houses were a little more densely put together, but now we've got a, a great subdivision that's a, a proud point of the neighborhood. And that's how it kind of got started. Then I got involved in the community council as a result of that and became president of the community council. And you know, here I am today. <laughs> That's awesome. Thirty years later. <laughs> Any thoughts of running for a higher office or just? Um, I've toyed with city council, and uh, I've had lots of people who push me to to think about city council. But um, running my own business as an architect kind of precluded doing that because I'm plenty busy. So you got the housing subdivision sorted. Mm -hmm. Then once you got on the council, were you like, well, what's the next like you know? Issue that well, the Rockford thing kind of went on for 10, 12 years by the time it got to where oh, wow. it is today. There was, a, there was a phase one that was a city-rama that was done under uh, Mark Mallory as uh, mayor. And he was very interesting, very in instrumental, because when, when Mark Mallory decided to run for mayor, he came to my office and sat down and said, he said to me, he says, okay, so I'm running for mayor. I want to know what the hot point topics of Northside are and what you guys need done. And I mentioned this. We had already had phase one of the housing project done, but it was in limbo that, you know, the area had been cleared behind it, but the developer hadn't got around to doing the rest of the houses. It was kind of in limbo. And I said, we really need to get that finished. And, and uh, to his credit, he brought City Rama 2 back to that site. And when that developer developed round two, he sold during the opening of that City Rama home show, I think he sold 60, 60 or 70 percent of the lots. So it was, it had gotten, Northside had made that shift in those seven or eight years enough where people were feeling comfortable about buying new houses in the subdivision area of Northside called Rockford Woods. Um, and then I just kind of, I stayed with uh, um, Northside uh, Community Council. We did a couple of land use plans that were based, neighborhood based, that we got passed by City Hall that basically charted what we wanted to do for the neighborhood versus, you know, and gave us uh, a pathway. It allowed us, the, that land use plan allowed us to block a, a Walgreens store that wanted to go in on the Myron Johnson site in the main business district on Hamilton Avenue. And that, that land use plan also launched us into very focused areas of where we wanted to see development and where we wanted to see the city put the dollars because we knew where, you know, we wanted to get the, the most rotten core of the apple out. And so we had the city focus on the, the rotten core of the apple portions of the neighborhood, if you will, that, to bring those up. Because we knew if we got rid of the worst, we could move on from there and, and then take the next step. So why would, like like Walgreens, like that seems like a place you would 
you would want to have in your town? Is there like a local pharmacist that would well, there's a, there's a local put out by it? Or? Sure, there's a local pharmacist who kind of giggled at the fact that Northside or that Walgreens would hurt his business because he 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 does so much delivery and has such a strong base of clients. He was not worried about Walgreens. The objection we had to Walgreens was the fact that they wanted to set the Walgreens back, you know, 150 feet off of Hamilton Avenue, put a big parking lot in front. And, um, you know, it was right across the street from Hofner Park. And, and one of our goals at our land use plan was to bring the first block of a Hamilton Avenue business district in with the remaining blocks to kind of bridge those. And we wanted something at, at the streetscape in that Myron Johnson site that pro- provided that connector. In other words, we had a missing tooth on the other side of the street with Hofner Park, which was an asset. But we didn't want another missing tooth and, and separate those, that business district. You know, we wanted to, to, to reunite the business district back together. And if we had a retail base that was, you know, present on the street like we have today, that connects that first block with the remaining blocks of the business district was what we wanted from a, from a planning standpoint. Yeah. That's um, and, that, and, that was, and that was in that land use plan. That was very strongly pointed out in that early land use plan. You know, some of the other things that are still, you know, we, we were able to deal with housing stock. We were able to deal with schools. You know, we have we got two new schools in Northside you know, versus the old Chase Elementary. And then we used to have a Schwab Junior High School. Now we have a Montessori Elementary School and, and Chase Elementary School. Um, so we, we, we were able to uh, work with Cincinnati Public Schools during the whole school rebuild, rebuilding process to get schools more like we wanted in the neighborhood. The uh, Montessori school in Northside right now is, is budding a wonderful wooded uh, city park area and the, you know, the Montessori kids can take little walks in the woods and get some science education by using society parks in addition to classroom studies. It's weird Walgreens wouldn't come back and say, oh, well, then what can we do? Because some places do do that. I know like Target, like we, were, we had this discussion a while back, you know, the Target and Buckhead in Atlanta, it's a two-story to fit into the neighborhood. And we showed Walgreens all kind of images yeah. of, of what we would accept. You know, bring the building to the front, make it a two-story, put the parking in back. But we were told by Walgreens that, and this is true for many retail stores throughout the country these days, is that they want the Prell shampoo to be on the right-hand side of aisle three in every Walgreens store across the country. They want the greeting cards to be in the same place in every Walgreens store across the country. And it's to address the mindset of the American consumer that when you go into a Walgreens store and you want to get Pearl shampoo or greeting cards, if you cannot find them within the 30 seconds that your mind is looking for it, that half the people will walk out of the store and not buy the stuff versus try to find it. <laughs> and we were told that by Walgreens oh, corporate. They want but maybe everything using Pearl shampoo in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they but they basically want product and goods in the exact same location in every store they have across the country, so their cons- their customers are not stressed out about trying to find what they want. Yeah. Oh no, I have to learn. So this that's software. why they, that's why Walgreens was unflexible. They said no, we got to have this footprint. It's got to look like this. And weirdly, uh, I reckon you'd spend more time in the store. And then buy I thought it was. An, I was just <laughs> baffled when I was told that, but you know. Yeah. So we just gave them hell. I mean, we just we just kept well, not. We just we're, we wouldn't we wouldn't agree to what they were asking in terms of all these variances and so on and so forth. And because we had that historic district to back us up, you know, we basically frustrated them and they walked away at some point. That would look crappy though. You're not. You're, <laughs> you're not wrong. You know. And, and the other thing with Walgreens stores, I'm sorry, but you know, you can go to to the corner of uh, Winton Road and uh, Galbraith Road. There's two two Walgreens stores on that corner. There's the old one, oh yeah, that they've abandoned in the shopping center, and now they build a new one across the street. You know, uh, mm. these 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 uh, uh, Walgreens and CVSs were never the salvation of any neighborhood because their lifespan, their their business plan on these stores is 20 years, and they're out of there. And then they have these buildings they want to dump off, and then you're stuck with an empty Walgreens store. Ah. You know, and College Hill had the same thing. They had a CVS right at the corner of Hamilton and North Bend Road. It was a great thing for the neighborhood at its day. It lasted 12, 13 years. They closed it down, and then they had this building they had to, building had to figure out what to do with, you know. So huh. they're, they're not they're not long-term players in the neighborhoods. They're they're very short-fused. You know, Walgreens probably hates me for saying this, but, you know, that's that's their business plan is, is to, 
you know. That seems crazy. It seems like the complete opposite. It, it seems like it would be the complete opposite with a, you know. Exactly. But I we, guess we you should, kind of see it with Kroger a little bit. Yeah, we showed them great examples yeah. of, of 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 Walgreens stores in San Francisco that were in urban areas where they took and combined three or four old buildings, you know, and made it their footprint by combining three or four old buildings, and they, you know, they they had their corporate design and we f- we didn't want it it wasn't didn't fit the neighborhood never did never would have it would have been nice to have some of those services but you know not, is, not under those terms what does north side need now like what do you what kind of businesses are you guys hoping to attract uh, well you know over over the rhine is 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 given north side a run for the money in terms of the small business th- things you know we're we're trying to diversify the business district to bring more goods and services in that people in the neighborhood need because we're trying to get more shopping from people, neighborhood people into the business district. You know, the bars and the restaurants are working great. The hardware store works great. But, you know, um, there's a couple of targeted businesses that I think we need in that business district that are, that are diverse. Like a T-shirt company? <laughs> well, we actually we have a T-shirt company actually in, on Chase Avenue. Um, since since uh, the or since uh, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name. I'm sorry. Hopefully, he's not listening to this. But we'll have to look at it. It's a, it's a small anyway. T-shirt. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, just some diversity. That's the question. Well, that's right. No, that's a service. Some, some, some <laughs> diversity of, of the businesses and the, the business districts. Because we have some open storefronts, so we'd like to see some more stuff. in, you know, um, are you guys willing to work with uh, you know local entrepreneurs and stuff to get to get going? Oh, with, without a doubt. Yeah. That was one of the things that when we started, we uh, we got a uh, what a three month or two month lease. On Main Street, mm-hmm. they're like, "Here, give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, you guys can walk away." And yeah. you know, and that led us to. We've been there since, you know, 2014 in that sure. neighborhood. Well, well um, the old Melt is a classic example of this. Okay, so when Melt started, it was in a very small little storefront space. the The two owners of that store store storefront, which I know, and they and they knew the proprietor Lisa, who wanted to open Melt. They said to her, "Okay, Lisa." For the first year, your rent is two hundred bucks a month. Okay, if you're still around in year two, you're going to pay four hundred bucks a month. You know, this is still way below market value. Year three, you're going to pay six hundred bucks a month. In five years, you're going to be paying full rent. And 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 that's how Melt got its start. From their perspective, they said, well, you know, two hundred bucks a month is better than an empty storefront. And if we can keep her thriving and going for five years and have five years of continuous rent from somebody, even if it's below market value, is a hell of a lot better than charging $1,000 for a business and they make it for three or four months and then they're gone and then we're empty for three or four months. You know, you got to look at the whole picture. Sure. You know, so there's a lot of entrepreneurs and building owners in, in Northside who were doing that accelerate, you know, really low rent to begin with to get the business up and running and then accelerated it. There's a lot of those businesses like Shaken that have now since bought their own buildings. You know, so there's a lot of businesses in Northside, Northside Tavern, Shaken, on and on, where the owners of the buildings are actually the proprietors of the business, and those are the ones that are the most stable today. That's awesome. Great. You know, um, but but people realize that in order to get people in, you got to, and like you said on Main Street, they said you know try it for a couple of months and see if, see if it works. That's really what these small little businesses need because cash flow is king when you're. You know, small business or a big business, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But, you know, when you're a small business and you don't have the resources to fall back on, like a bigger business would or a more established business, being able to keep your facility open so you have a fighting chance and not having to pay stranglers, you know, rates that are strangling you um, as a small business owner, those businesses thrive more and more. And we see that in Northside, and we were promoting that for a long time, and now we have some landowners that aren't quite as wise in my mind because I would rather be renting my storefront space for 200 bucks a month and have 200 bucks a month at nothing. Yeah. Well, where we started in Dayton, we started in a, a warehouse, the building that had nothing in it. And the gentleman who owned the building said, my insurance will go down if there's someone in it versus if it's empty. You're right. So it was worth it to give us a cheap rent just mm-hmm. for just how to, much money he'd save on the insurance. So he was he was he was a big term thinker, a long term yeah. thinker, you know. And, and that's that's what you really need. You need people who could see the big picture, or have struggled with a small business and know, you know, how hard it would be to come up with these big rents in the very early days of running your business, where you know you know you don't have the reputation yet, you don't have the clientele, and so on and so forth. So yeah, very interesting. Other things in Northside that I'm still working on, we, we, we have a, uh, a world-class skate park 
designed for the Northside community at the, at the exit of I-74 and Colerate Avenue. There's a big, huge open field there. We have a design. It's in our, all of our land use plans. Um, unfortunately, I haven't had the time I wanted to start fundraising for it, but we have a uh, 25,000 square foot world-class skate park that we're hoping to be built in Northside here in the near future. Um, Queen City Metro is getting ready for a groundbreaking at the end of October for a $3.7 million oh, I heard about this. bus transfer hub in Northside, yeah. which is going to be on the uh, east side of Hamilton Avenue in the first block. Uh, Northside is the second busiest metro transfer point in the city of Cincinnati in terms of buses hmm. and has been for years, um, which is second only to Government Square. So they're going to be building finally, and we've, we've been going after Metro for 20-some years for this. But it's a $3.7 million bus transfer hub in that first block of Hampton Avenue, which we think is going to be great. It'll really help that first block. It'll bring people in from different neighborhoods. with, And, and it, it's only going to be a matter of time before the bus service in Cincinnati gets better. It can't get much damn worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I said yeah. bring back the canals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said finish uh, the subway. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah, but you know, so so I think as, as as transportation becomes more important and I think that'll help it, you know, it'll it'll help the neighborhood as well. So. We ever gonna get the streetcar up there? Oh, I'd I'd love to see it. <laughs> but I don't think so. Yeah. I'd love to see it. How great would that be if it went somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well the, the sad part of that is the fifty million dollars was sitting on Governor Kasich's desk to take it up the hill and he said that money Clifton or in the uh, we'll uh, take it up to, to take it up Adams. to the to, well to take it up the hill to UC in the medical complex that you know that 50 million dollars was from the federal government for that project and, and our good governor Casey at the time didn't believe in public transportation he sent it back to the federal government and you know that's why we only build a you know the 75 million dollar you know streetcar system we have today is because one day yeah <laughs> But it's just so short-sighted, you know. And even if you don't like buses, I don't care. Don't ride them, you know. But don't yeah. deny the people who want to use this stuff the right well, to do Well, I mean, that, that just linking Clifton to downtown like that could I, could mm-hmm. affect, in a positive way, every part Everything of the land in between. In between exactly. Right. Which yeah. is... Mm-hmm. Which has to be done at some point anyway. Right, Just exactly. you know, we've we can only go so far east and west because of being flanked by two highways. Right, it's mm-hmm. got to start filling in. Yeah, I, the loop down the north side would have been easy from Clifton. You know? Yeah, uh, Central Parkways could be a great subway. That was yeah, that was supposed yeah. to be. Oh yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, from the north side bus hub, you know, a direct shot, you know, downtown. I mean, my office is the corner of Hamilton and Poland. Okay, I have people who ride drive from Green Hills who drive from Fairfield and they park on Poland Avenue right by my office because we have an express bus from Northside that goes right downtown. So I have people who say, you know, I park here for free and in 15 minutes I'm walking in the door of my office building downtown and I'm not paying and I'm not parking, I'm not walking across half of downtown. Right. And, you know, I got free parking. It's great. I mean, more people should take advantage of yeah, stuff like right. that. And, yeah. and we have a park and ride with that bus transfer hub on Northside, so that's great. Um, so how can people follow, like, all the stuff that's happening in Northside or all the stuff that you're doing? What are the best ways that Well, welcome, welcome to northside.com. This is the... This is the uh, it's on there earlier. Website of the Northside Business Association. It's been revamped. It's very current. We have somebody who's paying a lot of attention to it. And we're trying to keep that very current. So welcome to northside.com is is a great website right now where you can find out everything that's going on in the neighborhood. And uh, is info about the the uh, porch tour it's, on it's there? It's already on there, yeah. yeah that sounds really there. cool. Yeah. yeah. The poster and everything like that. So um, it's a really neat event. And as far as your services, how can people, if they need a... An architect? Yeah. Yeah, yeah come on. Well, Jack Ring Schneider Architects has been at the corner of uh, Hamilton and Poland for... Uh, probably 35 years, 34 years. And, uh, you know, we're open for business, 542-2500. we got contacts on, on the website in terms of our website and contact information. So um, we're there. We do mostly uh, residential uh, designs for people across the wide spectrum of economic ab- uh, uh, abilities. Very cool. So, and awesome. then uh, the last thing we ask is for our guests to give us a coupon code. And so this code will be good from this episode until our next episode comes out. It'll save people 20%. You get to pick what that word is. 
It will uh, save people twenty percent at your store. Yep. At our store, yeah, okay. or on our website, or on your architecture services. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you, you want, knock twenty percent off. That's up to you. I, mean, I get the phone ringing. I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we get to pick. I get to pick the next password. Um, uh, why don't we just say uh, Go Cincy? G O C I N C Y. There you go. There you go. I like it. All right. All so, inclusive. I love it. So Go Cincy. Uh, type that in online until the next episode airs and it'll save you 20% uh, or mention it in one of our stores over the Rhine, Hyde Park or Loveland and they'll save you 20% there too so thanks for being with us oh, my yeah. pleasure, it was fun, it was I enjoyed it coming. Yeah. and it was visit Northside yes. thanks <laughs>